Greetings and welcome to In Tune with VHBC, a podcast about music and worship at Vestavia Hills Baptist Church. I'm Marty Watts, Minister of Music at VHBC. In today's episode, I'll talk with Mike Hamilton and share about the hymn, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. Now let's get in tune. What you've just heard is the hymn tune Maitland, written in 1693. There is no doubt that this hymn tune was the basis for Thomas Dorsey's adaptation, which became the tune for Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Thomas Dorsey was born in 1899 in Villa Rica, Georgia, a rural area outside of Atlanta. His father was a minister and a farmer, and his mother played the organ for the church services where her husband preached. And it was certainly at those church services where Thomas Dorsey would have heard the hymn, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone, sung to the hymn tune we just heard. The Dorsey family moved to Atlanta when Thomas Dorsey was age eight for better opportunities. The move to Atlanta was difficult on Thomas, and eventually he dropped out of school in the fourth grade. During those teenage years, he began going to different venues to hear blues musicians in the Atlanta area, and he decided then that he wanted to learn to play the organ and piano and become a blues musician. At the age of 20, he moved to Chicago for opportunities to play blues. After a number of inspiring interactions with musicians in black churches in Chicago, Thomas Dorsey decided he would transition into writing music for the church. He also ended up leading the choir at the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Chicago for 60 years. His writing, choir leading, and training events around the country would lead him to earn the title Father of Gospel Music. Black gospel music came about in the early 20th century, and it has elements of African-American spirituals, blues, and the influence of white gospel music. It is important to note that Thomas Dorsey, who wrote Precious Lord, Take My Hand, is not the same person as Tommy Dorsey, the jazz trombonist and band leader. It was in a tragic moment in 1932 that Thomas Dorsey wrote, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. He was leading music for a revival in St. Louis, Missouri, and received a telegram that both his wife and newborn son had died after childbirth. Dorsey said, quote, God, you aren't worth a dime to me right now. A few weeks later, however, Dorsey returned to that hymn from childhood, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone, and adapted it with the words, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Out of that tragedy came a gospel song that has ministered to so many in the United States and around the world.
Today's episode concludes with an arrangement of Precious Lord, Take My Hand, sung by the Sanctuary Choir of Vestavia Hills Baptist Church. If you have a hymn to suggest for a future episode of the podcast, feel free to contact me at marty at vhbc.com. I continue to be so grateful for the opportunities that I've had to talk with folks in our music ministry at Vestavia Hills Baptist Church and for all the people who choose to listen to those conversations as we share them every week. Today, I'm really glad to welcome Mike Hamilton to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you today. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Um. I see you. We're you and I can see each other on Zoom, and you've got your very official-looking uh, headset on. So I know that you're you're ready. <laughs> you're ready to go. I'm prepared for anything. <laughs> well, great. Well, um, tell us first, Mike, about uh, what you're involved with at church, um, both music and and in other areas. Well, of course, I'm a member of the choir and the tenor section leader, which carries the awesome responsibility of taking role at uh, choir practice, which has been very easy to do since the uh, new software was put in place. Yes. I also have a very interesting job in the Joyful Noise Sunday School class. Uh, Lynn Fullman, uh, many years ago, started recording prayer requests and sending an email message to class members so people who weren't there could keep up with that kind of thing. And a change in circumstances, oh, and I occasionally filled in for her uh, when she couldn't be there. And a uh, change in circumstances required her to give that up. She asked me to take it up, and I've been doing a newsletter for the class ever since then. Wow. That was, that was another thing I was happy to get from the, um, the Shelby Next software because it has a, a bulk email feature that works much better than what I'd cobble together at home. Yes. Yes. I'm glad that the church has sort of transitioned to that uh, new piece of technology that allows us to communicate. And when we did it, obviously, we had no idea that um, COVID-19 would hit. And we've we've (laughs) definitely been able to um, make use of that technology to help us stay connected. Um, I can can imagine. Yeah. And I know your Sunday school class is glad to have you uh, continuing to, to help them stay connected with that email newsletter for sure. Well, it's been a, a, a pleasure to do, and I think it's been very helpful to the class since we've been apart for so long. Definitely. Uh, at, at our at our ages, uh, the uh, risks of getting out are a little higher maybe than for other groups. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and our class uh, has a lot of technological experts in it to some extent, but also there are a lot of people that are not real comfortable with this kind of thing. And we haven't, we haven't had much else to help us keep in touch. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the thing that I do for the church that not so much for the church for myself, really that I enjoy as much or more than anything else is to uh, shepherd the shepherd scholars. Yes. Um, Dick and I have, uh, tried to not try to take anybody's place. We, if, if our kids have 
uh, grandparents, living grandparents that they're close to. We certainly don't want to interfere with a relationship, but sometimes those kids need a, a surrogate grandfather that's local. And uh, we've done our best to fill those positions when they've been needed. And we, awfully, we also have an awfully good time spending time with them and getting to know their friends and going to their concerts and recitals and that sort of thing. Yes, I I know that for them, uh, not only uh, at church, but when you're able to go to their concerts and that sort of thing, it is such an encouragement uh, to see a familiar face in the audience, uh, a supportive uh, person in their lives who can be there, uh, and and uh, in turn representing our church family in that way. And um, you and Dick. Uh, do good work with that, and I appreciate you both um, taking on that that special ministry. We really enjoy it, and the the kids, all of them, not just ours, but all of their friends that we meet and befriend as much as possible, um, are so appreciative of having an audience, uh, a friendly audience, that it, you can't tell them what a great job they did for them thanking you for being there. Mm, mm. It, it really does mean a lot to them to, yeah. as you just said, to have friendly faces around when they're doing those things. For and sure. their talent is remarkable. It's most enjoyable entertainment I've ever mm-hmm. had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, tell us your, your background in music. What, what has that been for you uh, either as a child or uh, coming into adulthood, what what has that journey been like for you? I've had virtually no training in music. I had about two 30-minute piano lessons when I was five and a half years old. And then we, uh, the teacher was within walking distance where we lived. And then we moved a long ways away, and we only had one car, which Dad had to drive to work. And I had to give that up. And uh, my father was one of those rare birds who both played football in high school and sang in the glee club. Mm. And um, uh, I grew up being surrounded by music. And about the time my voice changed and they had changed from being a Methodist to a Baptist, where we had been going to church for some time, um, uh, I just joined the choir because that's what you do. <laughs> Um, sat by my dad and sang. Mm. And uh, I was, I've added this up carefully once or twice. I don't remember exactly, but over the years, I've had around 20 different choir directors. Wow. In in whose choirs I have um, participated, Uh including I was in high school concert choir, the men's glee club and uh, audition group called the ensemble, and then singing in church choirs. And when I was in college, um, the non-music majors who weren't good enough to get into the acapella choir uh, had had another choir with a student director who was very, very good uh, that um, uh, is roughly equivalent to the current university chorale that I sang in, and that's how I discovered that I was a tenor. Since my dad sang baritone or bass, that's what I tried to do. And um, when that choir was formed and I was friends with the director, he asked me one day um, what my range was. And 
not being able to read music, I had no clue. I wasn't sure I knew what he was talking about. So uh, he said, well, let's find out. And we got piano and started vocalizing. And when he found out I could hit an A without splattering it too badly, he <laughs> said, you're a tenor <laughs> because the choir needed tenors. <laughs> and so I've been one ever since. It's also easier to, for me to follow the top line on the score. Uh, so I sing first tenor mostly because it's uh, it's easier for me to read music <laughs> with my limited ability. Yeah. I also had a semester one semester course at um, at Sanford in music appreciation, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's all. I, I everything else I've learned has been from from choir directors, yeah. and, and I have always enjoyed it and really appreciated it. I've never had a bad one. Every one I've ever had has taught me something useful. That's. Uh, I love that story because, um, you know, uh, some people uh, who don't have formal music training feel intimidated. They may have a good voice. They may, you know, have have musical talents, but, you know, no training and, and feel intimidated or like they don't fit in. But you are the perfect example of somebody who has uh, just kind of picked it up along the way and. Uh, gone with it and and the choir now is such an I, I know is such an important part of your life and um, thank you for sharing that story that uh, is great well if it encourages someone else to participate I'll be very happy mm-hmm. I, I love it I enjoy it a great deal it means a lot to me that's where I've made most of the close friends over the years and um, and uh, doesn't intimidate me at all yeah. I do the best I can and try not to worry about it Yes, good, good. That's great attitude. <laughs> well, I know that um, you have uh, shared uh, occasionally about your wife, Weta, uh, and yes. so uh, I'm, I'm sorry that I never had the chance to meet her, but uh, do tell us about your family. Well, Weta and I grew up together in Chase Mountain Baptist Church. She was uh, two years behind me in school. We're about a year and a half apart in age, and she was two years behind me in school. So we weren't in the same place very often, but she was one of the group of kids that would be together at vacation Bible school and things like that. And our families were friends, and uh, we knew one another. But I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to her until the summer after our her her junior year in high school and my end of my first year at Howard College. I opened up that new campus when uh, Howard moved from East Lake to its current location. And that was a few years before it became Sanford. I have degrees from both. Uh, they were they were very kind about that. But um, she and I had a, a very small number of, um, of other youth and, and a few adults took a summer trip that year to Glorieta, New Mexico, to the Baptist Assembly. And uh, during that trip, we got to be a whole lot better acquainted. And I found out that she planned to go to college at Baylor, which I thought was entirely too hot for her and too far away and a, and a waste of, uh, of uh, local talent when we had a perfectly good Baptist school just a short distance away. So I set out to convince her that uh, she ought to go to Howard instead of Baylor. And uh, I 
I, I managed to do so, and we fell in love, and the rest, as they say, is history. We were mar happily married for 53 years, three days, and one hour. And in the last several of those years, if you ask her, she would tell you that we never had an argument in all those years. And I certainly wasn't going to disagree with her. <laughs> <laughs> I have, uh, we have two wonderful kids, a daughter and uh, little, her little brother. Uh, my daughter took a great interest in Vanderbilt University when she was a junior in high school. And for uh, some reason, she decided after visiting there that she was going to apply for early admission. And if she was accepted, she didn't, didn't want to apply it anywhere else. She was a good scholar and had three four-ride academic scholarships and probably could have gotten into any school she wanted to get into. But when she was accepted to Vanderbilt, that's where she enrolled. And by the time her little brother was ready to go to college, his fraternity was already picked out. <laughs> That's where both of my children met their spouses, who are just the best there are, and treat me the same way they do their own families. And both of them have two children, one boy and one girl. Uh, uh, my uh, my uh, daughter now lives and has for the last... Uh, 28 or 29 years in Dallas, about three miles from where she lived for a few years when she was uh, three, four, five years old. And um, her oldest son works for Google, lives in Mountain View, California. And his little sister works for Microsoft and lives in Seattle. <laughs> My son is the chief medical officer at TriStar Summit Medical Center in uh, Nashville. Uh, which is his wife's home, after 26 years and some 10,000 babies, wow. he, got an, he got invited to apply for that job and decided maybe it was time for him to start living with regular hours. And he's been doing that now for about three and a half years and just loves it. And um, his oldest child just graduated from SMU and is working in Dallas. And my youngest granddaughter is a uh, uh, junior at Auburn. Wow. Wow. Great family. Wow. It I know, is. I know you're proud. Proud and love to spend time with them. They're all great people. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. Well, um, before we started this interview, you and I were talking about uh, – how you've, you've had sort of a light work day today. Tell us about your, uh, your work. Oh, well, <clears throat> I've had, uh, I've had uh, two totally separate careers in, in one way, but uh, when I started college, I had enough money for one semester's tuition and I lived at home. So I had food and clothes and a place to sleep and I had a car, but I had to earn my tuition. I wasn't a good enough student or athlete to get any kind of scholarship. And uh, so I had to work all the time. And I had some of the most interesting jobs you can imagine. I was an undertaker, uh, what they called a body snatcher for a funeral home. And later, 
uh, became a funeral director, worked for them for quite a while. I worked in a grocery store. I drove trucks. I worked for Hertz Truck Rentals for a while. And uh, my father, since I was a small child, had been in the home medical equipment business. And um, during the latter years in college, uh, he and a partner uh, bought out the company that they worked for and gave me a job. And I worked for them for some time. And then he and his partner split up and he and I started a family business that I soon realized uh, wouldn't produce enough income for both of us unless I got some more education that I couldn't afford to pay for. So uh, I left it with him and some people he hired to help and worked for a couple of national companies for a few years and got the rough equivalent of a MBA by training with those companies and then came back and took over the family business. Um, some years after that, I got involved in, uh, in helping to found both uh, statewide and uh, national trade associations. And when uh, uh, Wheatus Health got bad enough that I needed to be spending more time taking care of her uh, than I could devote to running a business, I sold my business. But I kept my position as uh, uh, the, effectively the manager of the state trade association and turned it into an occupation. And after I, I sort of semi-retired and I continued to do that work um, ever since then, and it, it is really a lot of fun. I love it. They're great people in the business. Most everybody in that business got into it because they wanted to help people. And um, we have a lot of need for information, reading government docu documents and translating them into English, lobbying for changes in the Medicare and Medicaid programs and so on, um, negotiating policy with insurance companies and providing educational programs. Uh, keeping up a website, and I can do it all from home. I, I had offices and worked for other states um, in the early years, but um, as weight as health declined and I started drawing things back in, I ended up moving into a home office, and that's worked very well for me. So that's been a good thing. Mm. Uh, and you were well-positioned to uh, to work remotely uh some of that's us right. who were not uh, as well prepared for that. that you were ready. That's, that's true. I was ready. I, I didn't really have to change a thing yeah. about my job. <laughs> well, um, Mike, there have been some wonderful responses to this final question uh, that I've asked everybody on the podcast. And uh, so I'll ask you, Mike, what is bringing you life these days? Jesus, in the second half of John 10, 10 says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know, I, I've heard uh, that question with other people on podcasts that I've listened to and, and thought about their responses. Uh, and in my case, it's a pretty long laundry list, beginning with my very pleasant surprise at how quickly our church turned into uh, experts in remote oh. services. 
I, I really look forward to the Zoom choir rehearsals and have told everybody who will listen to me how much fun that is and, <laughs> and how great it worked out. And, um, and I've been very pleased with that. I also use the uh, forced uh, confinement to do a lot of spring cleaning and reorganizing and overhaul my website and we've done a bunch of things like that. I love to read and I've, um, I've got a, a deal with the library that keeps a list of about a dozen or so of my favorite authors and puts a book on hold for me when they publish a new one. But I've also expanded my reading into a, a more nonfiction and um, have uh, learned the definition of binge watching <laughs> and, and have spent a good bit of time doing that as well. Uh, I also have benefited from uh, uh, my long association with the Shepherd Scholars. Um, I, I've uh, I had the opportunity to have some of them spend some time with me. Uh, when Eliza graduated from Birmingham Southern, she got kicked out of her residence about a month before she started graduate school in Atlanta, and she stayed with me during that time. And when um, Samuel Robertson's uh, program in Rochester decided to go virtual, which is not a very good way for a voice major, um, he came back to Birmingham where his girlfriend and most of his friends were and where he had ways of finding jobs. And he's been staying with me and, and working. I rarely see him, really. Uh, he's so quiet and he works such odd hours and so many jobs that he's in and out all the time. But uh, uh, it, it's really been a joy to have these young people around and we have some very interesting conversations from time to time. And I've also uh, uh, gone back to cooking a lot more than I used to, which has both been fun and healthier. Um, and don't tell Eliza I said so, but Samuel's a better cook than she was. <laughs> and and uh, so he inspired me as well. So I have that long laundry list of things that I do that, that keep me busy and keep me occupied. Uh, and uh, I hear from my kids more often than I used to. I've heard a lot of people talk about uh, uh, doing Zoom chats with their children or FaceTime or whatever. Um, and, um, I've done the same thing. I, I've been uh, in touch with them a lot more since we've all been locked up. Uh, than I was before that. So I'm very, very thankful to have all of those things to give me life. Yeah. Those, wow. Great, great uh, responses. And uh, so many, uh, just a variety of things that, uh, that you've got going on there to, to um, yeah, that's, I just, that's great. It keeps me busy all the time. I always have something interesting to do. <laughs> yes. Well, Mike, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so Thank much you. for uh, taking time to, to do this with me today. I appreciate the opportunity. And I think this is a really good thing. I've enjoyed listening to them over these months. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Good day.
It's easy to find new episodes if you subscribe to this podcast. This episode concludes with the singing of Precious Lord, Take My Hand.